Lords of the Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name's Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, the Patreon has exploded this week. Oh my god, it turns out when you tell people that you and your co-host and everyone in your Discord is crushing the format, people want to get in on that Discord. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, and even, you know, outside of that, the Discord has been great all along, but it really feels like it's hit its stride and has now been overhauled. The Discord got a facelift this week. Yeah, we had a huge makeover. It happened really fast, too. I was like, oh, these like the channels that we have, the way we have it organized isn't quite working out. And now that we've got this huge influx of people this week that we're going to get to in just a minute, I re- really felt like we needed to mess things up. So shout out to Stunlock, FTW, Matt, who like created a new channel in there to get some IDs rolling. I drafted up something. Our IT guy, the Draken, Darren, took care of it. It like happened in a matter of hours. Like Thursday, we were talking about it, and then boom, it was done. And it looks beautiful. Yeah, and it's way more organized now. Like You can just whatever you want to talk about. And what's the pick? What's the play? whatever there's so many there's probably 15 20 25 channels in there now and you can just go where whatever your heart desires the option is there to talk about and there are people that are interested in talking about it with you yeah so we got to talk about this patreon.com slash lords of limited if you want to give back to the show you can do so we now have over 500 patrons we crossed that mark we crossed the merchandise stretch goal mark of 750 dollars an episode thank you thank you thank you to everybody out there we are going to get rolling right along with some t-shirts and other apparel for you we'll have that in the works pretty soon and then we're hoping to get sleeves and play mats and stuff like that uh, a bit further down the line that's proving to be maybe a bit more difficult for us but we are going to be on it we want that stuff out on the streets and then we got to figure out what our next stretch goal is going to be because we are rapidly approaching another benchmark. Uh, This is really, really exciting for us. Uh, We also want to shout out that we have a a new showdown video. We do this sort of Lords of Limited showdown video. That was one of our earlier stretch goals for the Patreon um, where Ben and I join a draft queue together on Magic Online. You can see both of our drafts and then we play a match together with both of our hands revealed. So that's available over on our YouTube page or you can find that on our Patreon page as well. And as we said, you get access to the Discord, the Lords of Limited Discord. It is popping over 500 members there. It's just really exciting, a great place to discuss all things limited and even some non-limited stuff now. Now we've got a standard section in the Lords of Limited Discord. Can you believe it, Ben? I cannot. I'm a little disappointed, honestly. (laughs) Well, we figured at least with the, uh, you know, the mythic invitational qualifiers that they're doing via Magic Arena that you can qualify through getting to mythic or the top 1000 mythic uh, on Arena, even through limited, that we should probably have a place for people to discuss that if they're going to participate there. All right. But we have a doozy of a list of folks to welcome to the Patreon for the first time ever. I'm going to have to ask Ben to help me out with these shout out names. Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so we want to welcome Colin, Jacob M, Matthew C, Gray, Zachary, Alex, Eric, Robert, Ted, Andy, Monty, Austin, I am Groot, Sanjay, Victor, Matthew M, Jacob A. Oh my, this next one, (laughs) Mrs. Metronome, hashtag single life. That is the best Discord name. That is the best Patreon name I have seen so far. David, Justin, Gus, Matthew G, Kevin, Bradley, Michael S, Mark, Charles, Jonathan, Gabe, Kit Kat, Pablo, 
Andrew E, Clem, Jason, Simon, Adrian, Brent, Michael V, Stephen R, Marshall, Segmented, Michael S, Daniel, Travis, Finn, Giacomo, Soren, Arden, and Biwa. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really, I cannot say how much we appreciate your support. Everyone here and everyone who has become a patron of the show from the start of our patronage, it just it blows me away every time. Yeah, huge thank you to everybody out there. Podcast also hit a thousand followers on Twitter. This has been a banner week for the Lords of Limited. It is a good week to be Ben and Ethan. Yeah, agreed. We are we're feeling on top of the world, I would say. All right, we got a lot to talk about, Ben. We're diving right in. We're going to talk about what war winning with this week. Huh? How do you feel about that? I, I groaned when I read the title of the show notes, but uh, we are going to talk about that indeed. So we've got a few updates to our top comments here. Unfortunately, after recording last week, we just shifted one of the green ones. I think you and I have Pollen Bright Druid as the number one green common now. Yeah, I, I do. I think I have Pollen Bright one and Bloom Hulk two and Band Together three. Yeah, those last two are close for me still. I'm not sure what's right. I think the first Band Together might be better than the first Bloom Hulk, but Band Together really only shines, I think, in green white and green red yeah I, I think i agree with that because green black you just have the better common black removal and green blue you're not quite so worried about interacting as much as you are proliferating your own stuff into gigantic threats and some pros and i think this may be coming off the heels of sam black talking about this on pro points a couple of weeks ago seem to be off of tamio's epiphany as like a good card you know he talked a lot about how he wanted to affect the board and i think that's where you and i are at as well but I don't think you and I are low on Tamio's Epiphany. No, I think this is still a game-breaking, game-winning card. And you're hoping not to play this on turn four. Like, I'm pretty unhappy if I'm playing an Epiphany on four. And if my opponent ever plays Epiphany on four, I feel great. I'm thinking about Epiphany as sort of like a six-drop game-winner type card in my blue decks. That's how it, it works in my brain. Yeah, I'm still very happy about it. I do think I have it now shifted from last week to the number three common, and I have Callous Dismissal as number two. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think Tamiya's Epiphany is still more powerful than Callous Dismissal, but Callous Dismissal might be better positioned in the format. I think it's a similar thing with like why we now have Pollen Bright Druid as number one. It's just like it's a good two drop and it's a flexible card and it's like good on two and good as the game scales. So I'm pretty happy with multiple Callous Dismissals, whereas multiple Tamiyo's Epiphanies I'm maybe not so happy about. Right. I think one of the strong points in Epiphany's favor is that if you've got cheap removal in your deck, like in blue-black or blue-red, or even in blue-white with Divine Arrow, if you've got six mana or seven mana and you can cast Tamiyo's Epiphany and find one of those cheap removal spells and still have enough mana to play it, you're not even really taking a tempo hit for that card. And how do you feel about Spark Reaper? Sam Black was really high on this in pro points. I don't particularly love this card i think it's fine i mean i'm always putting the first copy in any of my black decks but it doesn't feel like i need to at least in the drafts i've been in so far that i need to pick it super highly i agree it seems akin to vivian's grizzly to me like i usually want one grizzly at least in the like especially in the green black grindy decks maybe not if i'm in a more focused like green white proliferate or green blue proliferate kind of deck but i usually feel like i want i'm happy with one copy of vivian's grizzly as a mana sink and a way of getting card advantage and that's how i feel about spark reaper but i don't need to prioritize it like i'll get one if i want one and how are you feeling about the best archetype overall we came out last week saying it was blue red spells i think there's been some buzz among the pro community that red black might be the best archetype overall and i know alex court of calls from the discord is just absolutely smashing people 
comfortable with red black. Yeah, I also have blue black in the mix. That's my personal best archetype. I'm 20 and four with that deck uh, with five trophies. So I think any of the Grixis color pairs are up there for me. And I don't really know which is the best overall. And I'm not really sure it's that important. Yeah. And before we get any further, we also need to check in on the trophy leaderboard. How have you been doing this week? Uh, pretty well, not as hot as last week. Uh, so I'm 43 drafts deep, 91 and 38, 13 trophies. I just trophied before uh, we recorded, actually, and I have a 71% win rate. Nice. I have not been able to play much magic this week. Real life sort of hit me hard here with the end of the school year and whatnot. So I only have four more drafts than I did last week. So I'm up to 18 total drafts, 43 and 11, one more trophy. So I've got nine trophies and still hanging strong at an 80% win rate. Nice. Well, I have a doozy of a draft here. Maybe not a doozy, but this is my last draft. Spoiler alert. I did end up trophying with this deck that I, that I drafted, but I still think it's a pretty interesting first few picks to take a look at. How do you feel about taking a seat at the round table? I would love nothing more. Excellent. All right. So pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options, as we are known to say. Uh, probably best couple commons in the pack are Callous Dismissal, the one in a blue return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, amass one, and Bloom Hulk, three and a green, four, four. When it ETBs, you proliferate. And then your uncommons that I would consider are Tybalt, Rakish Instigator. That's two in red for a five loyalty walker. Your opponents can't gain life. Minus two, you make a little footlight fiend. One, one red devil creature token with when it dies, you deal one damage to any target. And Hwatley's Raptor, green, white, two, three with vigilance when it ETBs proliferate. And your rare is a clunker. Narset's Reversal, blue, blue for an instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. You may choose new targets for the copy. Yeah, rare is not good. Uh, that's out of consideration for me. Watley's Raptor, I'm also going to rule out as a gold card that is not crazy powerful. Like if I'm in green white, yeah, I want a Watley's Raptor, but Watley's Raptor does not make me want to draft green white this early in pack one. Uh, so that's going to narrow it down to Tybalt, Bloom Hulk, and Callus Dismissal for me. I think I'm higher on Callus Dismissal than I am Bloom Hulk, mostly because I would much rather be blue at the start of a draft than I would be green. And then between Callus Dismissal and Tybalt, I think Tybalt's just a slight bit more powerful than Callus Dismissal for me. So I think I would land on Tybalt here ultimately as the pick. I'm very happy starting in red. Would love to be red, blue or red, black. And if I, you know, have to red, green or red, white. Yeah, we had this really amazing conversation with like some of the top trophy earners on Magic Online in our discord the other night. And I was just like a fly on the wall watching it happen. It was so awesome uh, about talking about like what the best color in the format was. And we have people who are winning at absurd rates that were not agreeing, not even close, who had like completely different orders. Like I think everyone agreed that white was the worst color. And I think maybe most people agreed that green was the worst color, except for Beers SC, who is now in our discord who had it as maybe one of the best colors. You know, he was really happy with it. So I think it's really interesting that there's such a diverse uh, series of opinions about that, even from people who are having such success. I just think that's another nod to this format being a great format. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, I narrowed it down to Tybalt and Callus Missile as well. And it was just sort of like a, this is how I'm feeling right now. Like I'd rather play a blue deck. I'd rather play with Callus Missile than Tybalt at the moment. So I grabbed Callus Missile. Very cool. Pack one, pick two. This is going to be a lot less interesting, I think. Uh, best common in the pack is Pollen Bright Druid. Uh, one in a green for the 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, you can either put a counter, a plus one plus one counter on target creature or proliferate. Your uncommons are Samut, Tyrant, Smasher. That's two Gruul hybrid, Gruul hybrid for five loyalty. Creatures you control have haste and you can minus one. Target creature gets plus two, plus one and gains haste until end of turn. Scry one. Where are you at on this Planeswalker these days? I am not very high on Samut. I... I just 
pulls you in too many different directions. You know, the card says you want to be attacking your opponent, but then Samet doesn't have any way to protect herself. All of that just adds up to like, I'm not really sure what sort of home this goes in. And at four mana, you want your four mana plays to be having a huge impact on the game. And I think Samet only really does a lot if you're at parity. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think it's actually quite good on curve if you are in an assertive deck, like a green, red or green, white, or maybe even good god are you red white i don't know that's not where i want to be but i think it can go into some decks well but i certainly don't want to take it this early and your rare i think which is, is going to be the pick here is storev devkar and lich that's one black black green for a five four trample when it deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker you can return to your hand target creature or planeswalker card in your graveyard that wasn't put there this combat yeah, that card is just very strong. And I think even if you had started with Bloom Hulk, you're probably still taking Storev over Pollen Bright Druid. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think even if you had taken, I think if you take anything, you're just supposed to take Storev because it's so strong. Right. Significantly better than every other card in the pack. Yeah, so I grabbed that. Pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. Now we're getting a bit more meat in the common area. You've got a Toll of the Invasion, two and a black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. Amass one. There's Law Rune Enforcer, single white for the one, two. Pay one, tap, tap target creature with converted mana cost two or greater. Uh, with the Enforcer in the pack, you're probably not considering Divine Arrow, but that's also here. One and a white for an instant to deal four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. There's Jace's Triumph, two and a blue, draw two cards. And if you control a Jace Planeswalker, you draw three instead and invade the city, one blue red. For the Sorcery, amass X, where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Yeah, I just haven't ultimately ended up that impressed with Invade the City. Too often, it's too close to Relentless Advance to really be worth building around or putting in your deck, I think. Mm-hmm. Jesus Triumph, I have been pretty impressed with. I'm, I'm high on that card, but I'm a fair bit away from there with Tybalt and Storev in my pile. So the cards that interest me the most, I think, are Law Rune Enforcer as probably the best card in the pack. And then Toll of the Invasion that lines up super well with either of my first two picks. I'm really happy if I have to abandon Storev and just go red black with Tybalt and Toll. And I'm very happy if I get to play Storev and play Toll alongside it. So I think that's the pick for me. Yeah, and that was where I landed as well. Moving on to pack one pick four, more white cards flowing. Wanderer's Strike, four and a white for a sorcery. Exile target creature, then proliferate. Trusted Peggy, two and a white for a two-two. Flying, when it attacks, target attacking creature without flying, gains flying until end of turn. Another Toll of the Invasion. A Raging Crunch, two and a red for a four-three. It can't attack alone. Anything else worth? There's a Spellkeeper weird, but nothing else really super exciting in this pack. I think, you know, again, there's some good white cards here. But after just passing Law Rune Enforcer, I'm not thrilled. I certainly am not interested in Trusted Pegasus. And I'm not particularly interested in moving into white for Wanderer's Strike. It just sort of feels like a clunkier version of Toll of the Invasion, honestly. Like, which is weird to say, but I think Toll of the Invasion lines up so well in this format, especially if you're casting it on curve on turn three. You just feel great if you're nabbing a good card out of your opponent's hand. And if there's no good cards to nab, you also feel great because you're probably going to be winning the game then. Yeah, I also landed on Toll of the Invasion here as well. And I was pretty happy to have two of them. And we'll go one pick deeper. Pack one, pick five. You see a Sahili Silverwing, uh, one of my favorite soapbox cards so far, is most underrated card in the format. Four mana for a two, three flying artifact creature when it enters the battlefield you look at the top card of your opponent's library um there's a chandra's pyro helix one in a red for an instant deal two damage divided as you choose among one or two targets 
Dreadhorde Twins, three and a red for the 2-2 when it ETBs a mass two, or Call the Cavalry, as Ben's been calling it. And Bond of Insight, three and a blue for a sorcery. Each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. Return up to two instant indoor sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Bond of Insight. You know, I just realized that there is not just now, but basically like yesterday, realize that there's a cycle of bonds at uncommon in each color. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that. <laughs> That's, I, I did not, but I now do. That's exciting. So yeah, I think we're going to diverge a little bit here based on our first pick, but also coming to the same ultimate conclusion, which I think is important to take away about this format. So with me having Tivalt pack one, pick one, I'm really interested in Dreadhorde twins here and just abandoning my store of. Green hasn't been flowing much, and Red Black is a great place to be. And I think Dreadhorde Twins as most at home in Red Black because you really get to take advantage of both bodies. And I also feel great still seeing Chandra's Pyrohelix in the pack here about moving into red a little bit harder. And I would assume, based on you starting with Callus Dismissal here, that you snapped up Bonds of Insight. I did take the Bond of Insight, though I was really thinking about it because I had the two Toldi invasions already that, like, those are really good cards in red black. And I was like, well, this Dreadhorde Twins and Pyrohelix is kind of late. Maybe that's a signal. And certainly if I'd taken Tybalt, I would have grabbed that. But yeah, I did get take the Bond of Insight here. It felt like I had a really good shell so far for it with the two tolls and the Callus Dismissal. Um, so I was excited about that. And the draft sort of shook out that way. I ended up with a really nice blue-black deck. I toyed around with picking up a little bit of colorless fixing early to try and splash the store of. But at a certain point, it was there was like there's an awkward tension with wanting spells for Bond of Insight and wanting creatures for Storev to make them like both good. And I just ended up going more towards the spells route with the Bond of Insight. Right. And I think it's important to note that we were both very willing, despite Storev being a good card and a good rare, to move off it. Yeah, because it's much more important to figure out what's open than it is to like hold on for dear life to some B plus A minus card. Would agree. All right. And that pulls us into our next topic, which is taking a deep look at archetypes. So since we just were navigating a draft where you ended up in blue black, do you want to kick us off with what you've been doing with blue black amass? Yeah, so this is, I think, my favorite archetype in the set. And it's the one, I, as I said, I've had the most success with. Uh, it's interesting because we're using the templates for how we were talking about archetypes when we were looking at the guild decks from Guilds of Ravnica. And there's a lot less like these are cards that pull me in. And it's much more like piles of good cards, which I think speaks to the high level of power at common and uncommon in these colors in this set. So we'll get to that in just a second. But I think this deck, yeah, I'm going to name this blue, black, a mask because I feel like that's always part of the deck is how much value I can accrue from these cards that have a mass one tacked onto them. So the deck's goal is to stabilize in the early game and grind out resources in the mid to late game to get incredibly far ahead. All of the incremental value from amass tokens off of Avon Eternal, Toll of the Invasion, Lazatep Reaver, and more really add up. The hand disruption from Toll and the card advantage from Tamiyo's Epiphany slot into the deck's game plan nicely as well. So the deck has access to some of the best and cheapest uncommon walkers in Vraska, Angrath, Narset, Davriel, Yes, Ashiok, and even Dovin shines in these kinds of lists. I think this is also a shell that might exist in a, a blue-white Planeswalker deck, but when you have like four or five of these uncommon Planeswalkers, Dovin just does such a great job of being able to like bubble their most powerful threat and also provide another thing that your opponent's like, well, do I have to deal with this Dovin so it unlocks my powerful creature that then I can use to kill their other Planeswalkers? He just provides a really interesting speed bump uh, when you're playing a bunch of planeswalkers. 
But I think one of the interesting things you said is there there are a lot less cards at rare that pull you into decks because the rares are either very good and you're going to play them regardless. Like they don't really pull you into an archetype. Right. The archetypes exist in this format at common and uncommon. That's what I think, you know, why it feels, yes, it's a Prince format in that the rares are bombs, but it sort of feels like a popper format in that the decks are really turned on by the synergy that exists and the power that exists in the commons and uncommons. Right. Yeah, I was like going through and trying to pick out some rares and uncommons that felt like they pulled me into this deck specifically, and it was hard. The list isn't very long, you know, and it's sort of the cards you would think because they're blue black. So you've got Soul Diviner, that's the blue black two three that you can tap to like remove a counter from something to draw a card. That's a very good card, and it's a blue black two drop. So you're going to want to be in blue black to cast it. Uh, Enter the God Eternals is an absurd rare. That's the two blue blue black sorcery. You deal four to something, you mill four to someone, you gain four life, and then you make a four four a mass very very powerful but like then there were cards i was like well jace is a good card but like does that pull i think that this is probably the best home for jace but i'm gonna want to play jace in blue white or blue red probably even blue green sometimes like it doesn't really pull me into this deck specifically you know yeah i i hear what you're saying uh uncommons i think ashiok pulls me into this deck or like ashiok i think is i can still consider her a build around but i think it's a powerful build around and so I look at either like blue, black or blue, white probably is the best home for that card. I think blue, white might be the best home for Ashiok. I just think that blue, black gets more uncommon planeswalkers, but I still think Ashiok's really good in blue, white. I agree. You like that blue, white control deck is good. Uh, Gleaming Overseer is an absurd magic card. One blue, black for the one four that amasses for one. And then the card is so oppressive to yeah. play against, especially when your opponent's blue, black, because they're going to have this five, five menace hex proof thing that you can't kill until you kill their stupid one four, which is hard to kill. It really is. It dodges Jaya's greeting. That's huge. Yeah. And like you just don't ever put it in combat when you don't need to. So like you don't have to deal with the whites like disruption in terms of Divine Arrow or Gideon's Triumph. Right. It's like a flag bearer for your zombie army token. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Um, So usually it's just like good blue and black cards. There's not really anything like specific to this deck. And then how have you been ending up in blue black? It sounds like you've had a lot of success with it. Yeah, I mean, my path to this deck is usually pretty straightforward. Like, I mean, you just sort of you saw one of them in the round table. It's just strong blue or black cards like that was a route that sort of was fronted with commons. And then I ended up getting the rare like I got a Jace pack two pick one, um, but it was mostly commons and uncommons. Um, and this is backed up by how deep both blue and blacks commons are, you know, like you think about Obnixilis' Cruelty, Spark Harvest, Lazatep Reaver. We're not even talking about Toll of the Invasion yet. And Blue just has like, you know, Avon Eternal is, I think, one of the best commons in the set overall. And then Calisus Missile is good. Tamiya's Epiphany we talked about is backbreaking. And then we're like, Erratic Visionary is totally fine. Like the Dam Breaker, the 5-6 for 6 that proliferates, it's totally fine. Like there's just good things to do along the curve at common. Yeah, that has been my experience as well. When we were outlining this, I was just thinking like every color pair we're outlining here today, the deck is made up largely of the best commons mm-hmm. from that color pair. And those commons have so much synergy together. The commons are great. Yeah. Um, so like sort of thinking about how they like sometimes break down deck archetypes in limited at the PT, like looking al- along the curve or whatever. We're going to try and outline that here for some of these decks just to think about what the ideal curve of spells and creatures is. So looking at the spells 
half of things. Um, and this deck does generally slant spells higher than creatures because so much of your spells are creatures in a sense with the amass one. Um, so you've got Spark Harvest, one of the best removal spells, sort of putting that in the one drop slot because I think you'll often have a lot of amass tokens. Two drops, Callous Dismissal and one copy of Aid the Fallen is usually really important to this deck because ideally you probably have about, you know, three or plus Planeswalkers in the deck. And then maybe you're running a contentious plan. And a card that you turned me on to, Ben, is Lazatep's Plating, which is one in a blue instant. You and permanents you control gain Hexproof until end of turn, a mass one. I've been very impressed with this card. It just really lets you outplay your opponent. It does so much. Yeah, it's just very nice. And the mass one tacked on. Again, I'm very happy with a mass tacked onto stuff. I'm still not on the Relentless Advance train. I think you just want your mass stuff in addition to other effects. And then as we move up the curve, you see Obnixilis' Cruelty, Toll of the Invasion, Bleeding Edge, which is not chupacabra you know sometimes things get out of range of the deal too but if you can get it if you can nab something for two and a mass two or like use it to finish something off post combat you're getting some good value there uh no escape i think is totally fine as a one of tamio's epiphany in the four drop slot fantastic and then like all the planeswalkers that i talked about before that can slot into the three and four drop slot and a totally lost at the top of the curve if you don't have a way to deal with something big or if you didn't end up with any callous dismissals is, is also a fine include. Yeah, I think all those planeswalkers really are a, a huge part of the backbone of this deck. Yes, I agree. And then creatures that we're looking at here, Dread Malkin. Oh my God, I could not talk about how much I love this card enough. <laughs> it's so good. And it's so good when you have a mass. There's a lot of like tricky things that go on with a mass and Dread Malkin, but don't overlook this card. It goes way too late. And I think it's good in any black deck, but especially very good here maybe you're running a wall of runes but that's i'm only really looking to put one of those in if i've got like three three drop planeswalkers because i want to make sure i have ways to protect it so i don't feel bad about like putting it out on turn three when my opponent already has a two drop lazatep reaver erratic visionary at two Aven eternal my god that card is absurd Spellkeeper weird very good at recurring one of your spells really nice at protecting planeswalkers uh Vraska's finisher and spark reaper are totally fine and then like you know moving up you've you've can get any number of like fine commons herald of the dread horde or thunder drake at six you might get cura's dam breaker or tithe bearer giant those are like fine curve toppers and ashiok skulker could just be a win con for you at five mana and of course eternal skylord at uncommon is really nicely synergistic in this deck and so how would you say the the games usually play out like are you just you're just stabilizing and then getting some planeswalker value like how, how do you ultimately end up winning the game yeah it's tough usually you're winning the game with like some sort of evasion probably from like an avon eternal or maybe a skulker or maybe you've just like completely outvalued your opponent you know like you do something innocuous on turn two and they do and then you play a toll of the invasion and you nab their like best thing or their next play and then you're just able to like outmaneuver them the rest of the game because you have more information than them so in a sense i think toll of the invasion is pretty important to the deck's game plan also sometimes you might just be building up a big amass token and taking advantage of synergies from like the Skylord or the gleaming overseer it's different but it all feels like it's just like incremental value and then something like tamio's epiphany happens or something like i get to activate narset twice happens and you're just like so far ahead on card advantage that's what i've found like when i haven't played blue black much but the couple times i have it just felt like when i won i won so resoundingly in card advantage like through the incremental stuff you talked about like tacked on to even eternal or total the invasion and then tamio's epiphany was just usually the death knell like when i resolved that my opponents just had no chance because i was so far ahead on cards at that point 
Yeah. Some cards that you might think go in this deck, but I don't think are very good. Relentless Advance I talked about. I'm not interested in just a mass for a mass's sake. Unlikely Aid is like a just poopy combat trick, like just the plus two plus oh. I don't think that's what you really want to be doing. Oftentimes, because your stuff like isn't really worth saving, you know, like you don't have great creatures. All your creatures are just these like dumb amass things. Sky Theater Strix is totally serviceable if you need two drops but i would hope to do better because i want my two drops to be a bit more defensive than offensive crush descent even though it can get people i don't think this is what you want to be doing if you want to run a counter spell i would run no escape instead kasmina's transmutation is not a card that has impressed me and i certainly am not excited to run it here and soren's thirst again like it's a fine two drop but you have to be heavy black and you have to time it just right so i, I would not look for these cards as reasons to go into this deck and you've talked about this a little bit but what what does your creature spell ratio generally look like in the deck it's low like you're looking at like seven to ten creatures like when you look at your creature count on mtgo you're gonna have a pretty low count and that's because so many of your creatures are these amass one tacked on so i wouldn't be worried about that and also like your planeswalkers like angrath or vraska can also create creatures so don't need to think about creatures in just like that specific sense and you just have to make sure that you have enough win conditions and these will mostly come from you know just like winning with attrition flyers or even just like ashiox skulker and there's some pretty sweet things you can do in this deck most notably Spellkeeper Weird and Aid the Fallen, yeah? Yeah, I think that's a really sweet interaction. So Aid the Fallen, you can return a creature and a Planeswalker from your graveyard to your hand. So if you have a Spellkeeper Weird, you can basically get infinite recursions of Planeswalkers by using Spellkeeper Weird to get back Aid the Fallen and then Aid the Fallen to get back Spellkeeper Weird plus another Planeswalker. Um, So that's a really sweet, grindy thing you can do. You want to just make sure you have a a couple Planeswalkers before you're like excited about that plan. But so many of my decks I was drafting the the other day, I just kept being like, I just need an Aid the Fallen. I just need an Aid the Fallen. And I like wasn't willing to take it highly enough. And so you want to make sure you get get exactly one of those. There's a lot of shenanigans with Dreadmalkin in the deck. Basically, just like Dreadmalkin plus a mass makes you play the game a little differently than you normally would with a mass because you just like fire it off. But there are times where you want to sequence like getting enough value. So you're like, okay, I don't want to amass one when I already have an army in play because I want to be able to sacrifice that one one to Dreadmalkin first before creating a new amass token. So just it makes you think about things a little bit more. Herald of the Dread Horde, that's the 3-2 that when it dies, you amass two. That plus Dreadmalkin is a combat trick for your army. I actually attacked my opponent the other day with a Dreadmalkin and a 7-7 amass while they were at 9, and they double-blocked my Dreadmalkin, and I sacked Dread Horde to make it a 9-9 instead, and then I just won the match for lethal. So be on the lookout for that. That's a very sweet instant speed on board trick. That feels dirty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and lastly, I would just point out that I think Teferi's Time Twist, that's the one in the blue exile uh, permanent you control, and then it's going to come back into play at end of turn. Uh, and if it's a creature, it comes back with a plus and plus one counter on it. This card is something you're going to want to run in a Planeswalker heavy version of this deck, um, because oftentimes you can get them to like attack at your Planeswalker, and then you just get to Time Twist it in response, which basically like fogs them, and then the Planeswalker comes back. Or you might just want to like rebuy an end of the battlefield effect from Aven Eternal or something like you want this card in your deck. It's going to do a lot of things. And just remember, safety tip, don't fire it off at your opponent's end step, because if you do, the card won't come back until your next end of turn. So you want to do it in their second main phase. I have not punted that one yet. I'm pretty impressed with myself. (laughs) How about number of lands in blue black? 
Uh, I'd say 17 to 18. You really want to make sure you curve out, as stumbling is one of the only ways this deck can lose, I think. Uh, so depending on how much card draw filtering selection you have, I'd be inclined to run more lands just to ensure that doesn't happen. And I think it's important to note because there's so much colorless fixing in the set. Like, splashing is something you can do in this deck, but you usually don't need to because, like, blue and black often provide everything you want to do like you're going to get good tempo you're going to get good card draw you're going to get good removal and so you don't generally need to stretch your mana base for this deck does this deck have any bad matchups have you found yourself making consistent changes against certain archetypes or anything like that in sideboarding honestly i was surprised as i was thinking about this deck and the other one i want to talk about that i'm not sideboarding a ton in this format and most of the time when i'm sideboarding it's dependent on play or draw it's not dependent on what the matchup is like I try to lower my curve on the draw and I try and take out counter magic because like usually this deck sometimes struggles to like get on board early. Like sometimes your turn two play is a callous dismissal and if they don't have anything, then you're not going to fire that off. Um, so I think no escapes are the first things that I cut and wall of runes are sometimes the first things that I look to bring in. Obviously, like if you have a Kazmina's transmutation for a must deal with threat like a god, that's a obvious bring in. Davriel's Shadow Fugue, the three and a black target player discards two they lose two that's something you can bring in if you feel like your opponent's got more of top end but i'm not generally sideboarding because usually my best cards are already in my deck yeah that makes sense to me all right what archetype are we looking at next my favorite archetype in the format so far is blue white control flyers i think this is one that is not super intuitive and that not a lot of people have necessarily drafted or figured out yet. And I feel like I have such a clear picture of this deck right now. I'm excited to hear about it. All right, so what's the deck's game plan? So you generally want to clog up the ground with bodies and high toughness blockers and then win in the late game with card advantage and flyers, which is sort of opposite of the the strategy we've been outlining in the format, which is like, you know, you want to curve out, you want to get on the board early, you want to get your two drops, three drops so that you can protect your planeswalkers. This deck doesn't necessarily need your own Planeswalkers. I think there is a version of Blue-White that is like Blue-White Planeswalker Control. But I haven't drafted that one yet. I think you've had some experience with that one. Yeah. Mine has just been like Blue-White Control and then win the game with an Ashiok Skulker or something. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a little weird. And this deck can struggle with like an early rare Planeswalker or something out of your opponent. But outside of that, it feels like it's got really good game and often has enough card advantage that even if your opponent sticks an uncommon Planeswalker and gets both activations out of it, you don't really care because you can still go over the top of that. So what are the cards that pull you into this deck? There are almost none at rare <laughs> and uncommon. I mean, which is not necessarily a ringing endorsement of blue-white in and of itself. But I do think that's one of the strengths of the deck is that a lot of the commons that go late this deck can really take advantage of. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But so as far as rares, Time Wipe is really the only one that specifically makes me want to draft Blue White, but that is a great reason to do so. Time Wipe is overpowered in this format because it punishes people for doing what they're supposed to do, which is getting on board early and often. Uh, and then as far as uncommons, Elite Guard Mage is exactly what this deck wants to do. Perfect slots into the deck excellently. And Prison Realm, I have found, is pretty important because, as I said, you know, the deck can sometimes struggle against a rare Planeswalker or something because you don't really generally have creatures that attack well early. So Prison Realm to nab their Planeswalker has been pretty great. So aside from these like three pretty nutty cards, how are you finding yourself getting into blue white this is the deck i really want to end up in if white is open and that's how i often end up there it makes the best use of all of the top white commons except for trusted pegasus you really don't want that in the deck but other than that all of those good white commons really shine in this archetype and then 
The other way, you know, if you want to end up in the blue or white Planeswalker version is just getting past a lot of those three mana uncommon Planeswalkers like Ashiok, Dovin, Narset, Huatli, I think even is a more niche version of the deck where you have, because you're already incentivized to play all these high toughness things to gum up the ground and Huatli can just really shine in that version of the deck. I haven't had that one yet, but theoretically I think it's out there and I have played against it. Um, but the, the perks of this deck are that you turn a lot of the late-ish picks into really good cards in your deck. So Divine Arrow, which is normally not good because you want to be pressuring your opponent's Planeswalkers, you're not as worried about that. And when your opponent's trying to attack you, Divine Arrow is great, which you're trying to force your opponent to do. Dovin's Veto really goes late and I think is a good card in this deck because a lot of times the game plays out to where you just want to protect your Ashiok Skulker because interacting with that is the only way your opponent is going to be able to save themselves. No Escape, I think, is pulls its weight here and certainly feels like one of the best homes for a counterspell like that because oftentimes you can hold up mana for something like divine arrow or some other instant speed trick as well ashiok skulker is like the premier win condition in the versions of this deck i've drafted <laughs> and that card don't 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 know ashiok skulker this, no i'm not this deck sounds awesome it is this deck's so much fun so just that card goes you know sometimes with three four cards left in the pack and that's your win condition bulwark giant is a card that you actively want to main deck in this deck because it bulwark giant main deck just means you don't lose to aggro and then the three six body is just great at clogging up the ground and you don't really mind if your opponent isn't aggro having the bulwark giant to just clog up the ground and then the really key one i think that's a junker that is good in this deck is kazmina's transmutation so the one in a blue for the enchantment that turns your opponent's creature into a one one this is a way to deal with all the bombs. You know, you want to go late and you might necessarily have bombs. You're fine running Kazmina's Transmutation because you're already trying to clog the ground up. So the 1-1 is so irrelevant on your opponent's side of the battlefield that Kazmina's Transmutation is just sort of like Doomblade in your deck. You love to call any junker card that I don't like <laughs> Doomblade. <laughs> just to tilt you. All right, so what does the sort of curve of spells and creatures look like for this deck? Yeah, I think as far as the spells, sort of in the two-drop slot in order of goodness, Divine Arrow, Gideon's Triumph at the top, and then Dovin's Veto, Callous Dismissal sort of underneath that, and maybe even Contentious Plan in a Planeswalker-heavy version. In the three-drop slot, Prison Realm is the best you can do for yourself. And then probably all of the three mana Planeswalkers, followed by Jace's Triumph, No Escape, just some card advantage, some interaction. And in the four drop slot, Tamiyo's Epiphany is the key card in this deck. That's really the win condition in this deck. Similar to Blue Black, it just lets you out card your opponent 100% in the late game. So if you stabilize that board, Tamiyo's Epiphany is your win con. I mean, yes, you're killing them with an Ashiok Skulker, but really the card that killed them is when you cast Tamiyo's Epiphany and you just, you know, bottom two lands, drew two spells, and are going to just continue to have better draws than your opponent the rest of the game. All of the four mana Planeswalkers are great, and then Wanderer's Strike at the top of the curve, especially in the Planeswalker version, really does a lot of work. And what kind of creatures are you looking for? This is one of the best homes for Law Rune Enforcer. It's really good. You know, your opponent plays a God Eternal. You don't care. You're locking it down for one mana every turn. Law Rune Enforcer is outstanding this deck. This deck is also very mana hungry for what it's worth. should mm. mention that. Uh, Wall of Runes, depending, you know, uh, certainly if you're playing the Uncommon Planeswalker version, I would not be unhappy playing Wall of Runes. And just it blocks well, scries certainly worth considering in the twos erratic visionary is really good as a one of i'm not super happy with more than that and war creature also can do some work but there are not good two drop cards for this deck as far as creatures go and you i do not think you should be playing like martyr or you know the two one first strike just to play a two i think you just have to sort of accept that your opponent might get two activations out of their uncommon planeswalker and i 
don't think you really care that much with this deck. Wow. And then in the threes, Aven Eternal, top of the heap, Spellkeeper Weird is really good. You know, having the option to hold up Divine Arrow or Dovin's Veto that's already in your graveyard, things like that. And Teo's Light Shield is also very strong at gumming up the ground. And then the fours, this is really where you started to get into your win cons. Any of the flyers, and there are a lot of good fours in this deck that are sort of interchangeable. Elite Guard Mage, Thunder Drake, Rescuer Sphinx, Sahili's Silver Wing, whatever. As long as it's got flying, you don't care. And then in the fives, Ashiok Skulker, I think is better than Enforcer Griffin in this deck, which is a little bit unintuitive. But just the fact that there's definitely no way they can interact with Ashiok Skulker goes a long way. And then Bulwark Giant, I think you want a little bit more than Kiora's Dambreaker in the six drop slot. Nice. And what cards are kind of traps like cards? You'd be like, this goes in this deck, right? Yeah, there's a lot of good, powerful cards that are really just not on the game plan. Trusted Pegasus is really off plan. 2-2 Flyer, I don't think is where you want to be. Like Aven Eternal is so much better than Trusted Pegasus just because the 1-1 gives you a chump blocker and helps you gum up the ground. Grateful Apparition, you'd probably play in the Planeswalker version. But other than that, I just don't think the 1-1 Flyer is impactful enough on the game in this deck Mm -hmm. flux channel is another powerful card flux channel i think for me is almost at this point a blue green or maybe a blue black gold card i have not been very happy with flux channeler outside of that i'm with you man i think it's a blue green gold card otherwise it just feels like playing a gray ogre isn't good enough it's just too fragile yeah and sky theater strix is another one that you know if you really want to pressure planeswalkers certainly could bring that in out of the board but i it doesn't block well, so I'm hoping to not put Sky Theater Strix in this deck. It sounds like this is a pretty creature-heavy deck, yeah? Sort of, uh, in a certain sense, yeah. I mean, I generally have 12 to 14 creatures in the versions of this that I draft. Uh, the, certainly the non-Planeswalker version. In the Planeswalker version, I think you probably have a little bit less creatures than that. Um, but you should not play random low-drop creatures, just like Martyr for the Cause, to try to pressure your opponents or get two drops. Just make sure... Every creature you've got in your deck either blocks well or has evasion of some sort. Any sweet interactions or like non-intuitive things or stuff that you feel like makes the deck like get ahead and stay ahead? Yeah, Spellkeeper Weird plus, you know, having counter spells or removal or Tamiyo's Epiphany in your graveyard. Just the options that Spellkeeper Weird presents when you get a hold up mana is really strong once you get to the mid to the late game as far as, you know, effectively locking your opponent out of the game. What you're really trying to do is just get to a point in the game where you can hold up Dovin's Veto and no escape for the rest of the game. And to do that, you know, the deck's very mana hungry. You got to make sure you hit your land drops, et cetera, et cetera. You really need to save Kazmina's Transmutation for your opponent's bomb, if at all possible. And just Ashiok Skulker, man. That's that's the way you win. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's like blue-white Chions from Cube. It really is. I mean, it's, it feels similar to I, my pet deck in HOU was the blue-white deck that just like, played the life gain, and just couldn't lose. That's exactly how this deck feels. That's awesome. So Mana Hungry, are you at 18 lands for this deck? Yeah, I think certainly this is anywhere from 17 to 18. Would not feel bad about running 18 at all. And then in terms of sideboarding, are there any bad matchups? And if so, how are you shoring up those weaknesses? Yeah, I think that's another strength of this deck is that you are a control deck, so you can customize your deck to really beat the opponent's deck, whether you're playing against aggro or control. So this has a lot of options at sideboard. Would definitely want access to more Kazmina's transmutations if I'm playing against an opponent with a lot of bombs. Bulwark Giants, I would want access to more out of the sideboard if I'm playing against aggro. You know, sighting in three Bulwark Giants against your aggro opponent just feels like game over. And then I really try to match the toughness of my ground creatures up against the power of my opponent's creatures. So, you know, if they've got Bloom Hulks running around, bring in those two five Ironclad Crovods. One 
card that's really a pain for this deck is Arlen's Wolf because a lot of your stuff is low power, high toughness. So making sure you've got Naga Eternals or Makeshift Battalions, those blue and white three twos, uh, those can really come in handy out of the board against an opponent with some Arlen's Wolves. And if your opponent is planeswalking you out of the game, you might have to try to make your deck a little more proactive. And that's where having some Sky Theater Strixes or something like that to bring in to, you know, get that two damage on your opponent's planeswalkers can be really strong as well. And, and another one that's good against planeswalkers is Stealth Mission. Just citing that in and, you know, tune a blue, kill your opponent's planeswalker. This deck has Ethan written all over it. I got to draft this. It's really fun. Yeah, I've only played it once and I don't think it was even like that good of a version of it. I think I like two owned with it, but I want to I want to try it out more. All right, we're going to move into another white deck, shockingly. I know we're not like high on white, but green-white proliferate is a deck I've had a lot of experience with and a lot of success with, and I want to talk about it here. So strap in, Ben. Seatbelt has been fastened. All right, so the game plan of this deck is to go tall. This deck takes advantage of the numerous ways to create counters on creatures and planeswalkers and then abuse proliferate for absurd amounts of value. If there's an aggro deck I'm excited to play in this format, this is it. I also think this is a strong home for multicolored green decks, but we're going to talk about those next week. Um, there is also this minor life gain sub theme that a Johnny's pride mate is really the only thing that reaps the benefit of that, but it can be very powerful in the deck. Uh, I also think the charmed stray plan works, but you probably need like four or more and you really want them in conjunction with pride mate, you know, going charmed stray turn one pride mate turn two, attack with charmed stray gain a life counter on pride mate is big game. In addition, we talked about Huatli, the Sun's Heart, uh, the Planeswalker that's two in a green-white hybrid, seven loyalty, like sort of like the high alert variant. Um, we talked about that in the white-blue deck. I think it's a real build around in this set, and I think certainly has a home in green-white. But at its best, I think green-white is a beat-down counter proliferate deck. And so how do you find yourself getting into green white? Because I have been trying to avoid it like the plague, in all honesty. Uh, well, you probably haven't opened a Johnny yet. I have not. That's true. Yeah. So a Johnny Greathearted is like the top reason to try and play this deck because a Johnny is busted. Um, and as if I open that, I'm going to try very hard to fit it in my deck, either going straight green white or finding myself in a green X shell that can splash for it. Um, Tulsimir, less like draft warping than a Johnny for me, but still a pretty strong card. And I'm happy to first pick it and happy to like lean green white for it. But really at the meat of this comes from the power level of uncommons and the synergy that I think they create. So Jang Yangu, the three mana planeswalker evolution sage, a Johnny's pride mate pledge of unity, Huatli's Raptor. And two, I think a lesser extent below the rest is grateful apparition. All of those cards like work really well together and allow you to have these explosive starts or draws with your deck yeah i finally come around on jong i was struggling to think about really what that card was doing and where you wanted it and i thought it was just good index with twos but i'm sort of on jong as either a green white or a green blue proliferate card now right because he's able to you put a counter on a creature and then if you're proliferating then you're not only proliferating on the thing that you put a counter on but then you're giving jong more life so that hopefully he can survive till next turn so you can do the same thing over again Yep. He sort of feels like, what's it called, from Song of Fraley's from Dominaria. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how I'm ending up there is, yes, I'm also soft avoiding white at the moment. So I often get here by starting a draft green and seeing either just good white cards or any of the good uncommons mentioned above late. You know, if I like start a draft with a few green cards and then I see a Hotley's Raptor sixth, then I'm like, okay, this might be the direction I'm supposed to go with this draft. Um, oftentimes it'll be very clear that no one is interested in green white at your table, in which case you can really reap those rewards. 
And so what does your spell suite sort of look like by CMC in this deck? This is mostly a creature-based deck. So the spells that you're looking at, you know, Battlefield Promotion, I think, is very good as a two-mana trick. You're not really interested in, in giant growth that much. I think you're interested in things that put counters on stuff because you only have so many slots in this deck, and most of them need to be filled up by creatures because you need places to put the counters, but then you also need things that make counters. So it's a, it's a kind of tough dance uh, to, to have to go through here. So I think Battlefield Promotion is good. Um, at three mana then you get to the goodies like prison realm is a great removal spell but in terms of synergy stuff pledge of unity really lets the deck go off zhang yangu new horizons even if you're not splashing sometimes this is just a good card to put in just to give you an extra counter to put on something um moving up the curve the wanderer i think is totally fine uh, as a, a four mana planeswalker i put uh nahiri in there as well i think that's a, a pretty sweet card being able to pick stuff off and first strike is big game when you're the beatdown. and a lone copy of wanderer strike is often very nice at like nabbing a powerful creature on your opponent's side and then proliferating and how about those creatures you have pbd in the chart here it took me a hot second to figure out what that was <laughs> peanut butter druid yeah so uh in uh the one drop slot law rune force are good charmed strays can be good depending as i said before and then pollen bright druid really the like glue of this deck you just can't get enough of these cards so good cron triangler very good but also sort of dependent on how many bloom hulks you have because a lot of your creatures other than bloom hulk aren't going to be big they're like going to get big so they may not trigger the cron triangler a johnny's pride mate very strong Quatley's raptor very strong you get into the three drop slot you're looking at evolution sage is the best of the bunch Arlen's Wolf, just a fine beater. Teo's Light Shield and Iron Bully as sources of counters. Trusted Pegasus, totally fine, though it's actually not that important to the deck, shockingly. And then Bloom Hulk and Enforcer Griffin moving up the curve. I'm surprised you don't have Band together in the spell curve. Is that something you're hoping to not play in this deck? Because it seems like that's one of the better homes with a lot of creatures here. Yeah, Band together is good. I, I didn't fit it in the spreadsheet in the show notes here. It's also not crazy important you know like it's good but oftentimes your combat tricks are sort of doing the same thing because you're hoping to attack most turns anyway so yeah band together can remove a blocker but then oftentimes you can just like force your, your opponent sort of has to block and then you're firing off one of your tricks anyway and how about underperformers in the archetype so giant growth really not exciting like you you might run it but it's not what you want to do with the deck you want your tricks to put counters on your creatures uh divine arrow just pretty awkward because you're mostly the beatdown. Yeah, it can remove blockers, but again, you'd rather be doing that by putting counters on your own creatures. Courage in Crisis, that's the two and a green sorcery, put a counter on something and then proliferate, I think is okay here, but I think it's not as good in this deck because you ideally have access to like Pledge of Unity. That's probably one of the reasons you're getting into green-white. And so you don't have a lot of room for this kind of effect and i'm not generally excited about it but it can be fine and then it's just like some sort of derpy creatures crawl stinger rising populace i don't think is good even though it may you may think like oh but it could get a counter like you don't want to be playing a gray ogre that like needs your stuff to die you don't want your stuff to die you want your stuff to be big right so like if we're taking right. taking a page out of the ryan Sachs book of like how to build an aggro deck you got to build it with sort of like a hopeful mindset and i don't think that's that's not your your dream scenario. And I don't think Centaur Nurturer is particularly what this deck wants to do, unless you've got like the life gain theme or the Hwatley theme where it would be a four mana four four. And how about numbers of creatures that you're running in the deck? Uh, it's a high creature count. You want it to be like in the 15-ish creature range. And uh, you just because it's so important that you have a lot of places to put plus one plus one counters on. Uh, so a high creature count is pretty crucial. 
And so what are some other interactions to look out for in the deck? Anything that's come up for you? Yeah, so there's really just one, but it's a really important one, and it's the most explosive, powerful thing the deck can do, and that's Pledge of Unity in conjunction with either Pollen Bright Druid or Huatli's Raptor on turn five or on five mana. And so for folks at home, what you want to do is you want to cast your Pollen Bright Druid or your Huatli's Raptor in response to your proliferate trigger, you're going to cast Pledge of Unity to put a plus one plus one counter on all of your creatures, and then the proliferate trigger will resolve, essentially turning Pledge of Unity into two plus one plus one counters among all of your creatures, including the Druid or the Raptor. Ooh, that is sick. Yeah, it's really powerful. And how about numbers of lands? I would assume not a ton. Not a ton. Yeah, 16 to 17. There's not a lot of places to put mana in this deck. And you also might be running like a Jang or a New Horizons or even like a Paradise Druid. So you may have even some extra sources of mana running around. So you can get away with fewer lands. And have you found any specific tech out of the sideboard? I would assume this deck struggles to just beat a Death Toucher. Yeah, I don't really have a solution for how to beat Frasca in this deck, basically, other than... I mean, Trusted Pegasus would help with that quite a bit. Right, though I doubt... It would have to be like a pretty nutty draft where like Pegasus... I, I'm not excited about the card, but I don't think it's bad. It would have to be a nutty draft where it would end up on the sidelines. You know, Green has a good suite of situational sideboard cards like Return to Nature for gods or artifacts or enchantments, Snare Spinner and Force Landing for flyers. Again, I think my sideboarding is about being on the draw or the play more so than anything like bulwark giant and centaur nurturer for more life gain against other aggressive decks um if you happen to be running x ones and you're up against hate for that like pyro helix you might want to swap them out for like just some random bears like the 2-2 that when it dies proliferates that's not like a great card but i'll bring that in if if i feel like i need to um, but yeah I, I agree with the deck struggles against death touchers but there's not a t outside of raska there's not a ton of those so we were we texting about this a little bit. I think I like blue green. I've not really played green white much, mostly because I just had such traumatic experiences with it over and over and over again in sealed. But I've sort of on blue green as a better proliferate deck than green white because contentious plans is so good when you get a proliferate and draw a card. And it just feels like your some of your threats have a little bit more evasion, like the Merfolk Skydiver and things like that in blue green. Yeah, I hear that. I so first of all, I've only drafted blue green once. It was a very good deck. I don't see blue green open that much. And I don't think that blue greens uncommons are as good at doing the proliferate thing as white greens. Like the skydiver is a very powerful card, but that's a late game card. Like that's inevitability. Whiteley's Raptor and Pledge of Unity is like, this is happening fast and we're going tall fast and you're going to die quickly. I, I agree with that. But contentious plans, I think at common, like contentious plan is almost a better version than pledge of unity. No, at no common. Way. No, because it doesn't put the counter on the creature. Right. So in, you have to prioritize creatures that get the counters and then contentious plans is absolutely fantastic in your deck. Right. But I, well, I don't want to, this doesn't, I don't want to turn this into like an argument about this deck, but like <laughs> what creatures is blue putting getting with counters other than thunder drake pollen bright druid that's not blue not blue no what is blue doing well, but it's, it's blue green <laughs> blue gives you contentious plan no I that's what i'm trying to say but like but my what i'm saying is that i don't think there's room for that kind of effect like maybe one of them in the deck because you need creatures you need ways to get counters on creatures you can't just have like wheel spinning proliferate cards that's my feeling so I, I hear everything you're saying there. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that if in blue green, if you get the creatures that get the counters on them natively, 
contentious plan is putting all the plus one plus one counters on the thing and cantripping, which is really powerful and really snowbally. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think both of us are kind of theory crafting here with blue green, having not played with it a ton. I've played it twice now. Okay, I've only played it once, so I can't I can't speak to it. All right, moving on to our last archetype, and I think the most straightforward to draft and to play, well, maybe not to play, but certainly to draft, is blue-red spells. And I think the game plan here is just synergy, all caps typed in the show notes. Spellgorger Weird is oppressive in this deck, uh, and this really embodies just the whole deck, the idea of early board presence and pressure and evasion. All of the blue and red commons and uncommons work super well together, and your own planeswalkers in the deck are also great because they trigger, you know, your burning prophets, your spell gorger weirds, etc. Um, and speaking of, you know, the deck being synergistic, burning prophet is the glue that holds that deck together. You know, one in red, one three. Every time you cast a non-creature spell, you get a scry. It just makes sure you don't flood out. You draw the perfect number of lands. You can dig for removal spells when you need them. This deck functions exactly like, you know, almost one of the best versions of blue-red spells I think we've ever seen in Limited. It really reminds me of blue-red from Hour of Devastation, which I think is the last time that archetype was as good as this. Yeah. Uh, cards that pull me into the deck specifically again at rare and uncommon there aren't a ton this is really common based um, but Mizium tank is a rare that shines in this deck i don't know if it even really pulls me in so much as like you're gonna get past Mizium tank when you're in this deck and uncommon's bond of insight is great you know to get you back two spells cyclops electromancer is overpowered in the five drop slot assuming you have you know eight to ten instants and sorceries and sometimes that's not the case so you should be aware of that as well sometimes it's more planeswalker based for your non-creature spells and then ral's outburst is just another insane pull into this deck the two blue red deal three to any target and look at the top two cards of your library put one of them into your hand that card is very good and rebuying that card with spellkeeper weird is one of the most depressing things that you can do to your opponent ral's outburst is one of the not remotely fair cards in the format (laughs) Yeah, it is really a bummer to play against. Yeah. So how are you finding your way here? Because I think you've drafted this deck quite a bit. I have, and it's because the best red and blue commons just lead you here so easily. This is the best home for the top three red commons, which are Jaius Greeting, Spellgorger Weird, and Burning Prophet. And Red Black is another great home for all three of those cards, but I think they're best in blue red. And this is also the best home for blue's top commons. Even Eternal is exactly what you want to do. Tamio's Epiphany is great. And Callus Dismissal is just outstanding in this deck. I think Blue Black Amass has something to say about you saying it's the best home for Avon Eternal, but I'll let it slide. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, sure. It might be a slightly Avon better Eternal suited is with just that absurd. Texture. It's just really, really good. Yeah, it's bonkers everywhere. And then as far as, you know, the spell curve, you want all those two mana, three damage, two damage removal spells. You want Callus Dismissal. And then if you're light on those, you could get into some contentious plan, Lazatep plating, Teferi's Time Twist if you're trying to up your spell count a little bit. A lot of the three mana Planeswalkers, Sahili, Tibalt really shine in this deck. Honor the God Pharaoh is a great wave as a spell that's still going to give you a body as a mass. Sometimes blue-red has a little bit of an amass sub-theme. In the four-drop slot, any of the Planeswalkers, Kazmina, Ral's Outburst, like we talked about, the blue-red uncommon, Tamio's Epiphany and Bond of Insight to give you some card advantage. And then a really insane Planeswalker in this deck is Jaya Venerated Fire Mage in your 5-drop slot. 4 and a red for the 5-mana Loyalty Planeswalker that you can minus 2 to deal 2 damage to any target. And the passive of giving all your red spells and creatures plus 1 damage is so good in this deck. And then I imagine you probably don't have a ton of creatures, but there's like a handful of like really strong role players. Yeah, I'm usually in the 9 to 12 creature count range depending on what I've got. 
would love as many burning profits as I can get my hands on. I'd play three, four easily. Tibalt's Rager does fine work in this deck. Sky Theater Strix is okay. Burning Profit is the premium two drop. And then as far as threes, Spellgorger Weirds, the top of the heap. That's one of the best threats you can have in the deck, followed closely by Aven Eternal and then Spellkeeper Weird to round it out. And then in the four mana slot, some flyers. Thunder Drake is really good in this deck because you've got a lot of cheap twos. The curve is generally really low on this deck, so it's easy to double spell to get the counter on the Thunder Drake. And Rescuer Sphinx also, if you can manage to rebuy some of your Planeswalkers or things like that that have ETB triggers. And then Cyclops Electromancer we talked about, huge draw into the deck. Eternal Skylord, just a busted card in any blue deck. And Invading Manticore in the six drop slot has been fine. You know, hoping to not have my curve go that high. Generally, I want mostly my curve to stop it four and then maybe a couple five drops but if you've got a more late game slanted version invading manticore can be a good finisher for you as well any trap cards or underperformers yeah invade the city is just not good here and i i really assumed it was and the first couple times i got into the deck it was because i got some late invade the cities which is not really right but still ended up leading me into a good archetype happily enough i had seen invade the city in a lot of early blue red trophy lists and so i had sort of made the conclusion that oh this card is better than i think it is but i think what happens is like it ends up being fine but it's more indicative of like blue red is open and so you're going to get past this card and like it's probably going to make it into your deck then it's really good and like a reason to go into that deck yeah it is not the latter and the former i think it is much more so and even sometimes it's not going to make the cut if blue and red really are open no escape you really want to be proactive more than reactive don't like that augur bolus is just laughable and it looks like this should be the deck for it but burning profit is just 10 times better than augur bolus in this deck flux channeler again just not relevant enough even if you're putting counters on your spell gorger weirds that's going to happen anyway you don't need flux channeler to make your spell gorger weirds better Heartfire as a one of is okay but generally you don't have things laying around to sacrifice unless you've got a lot of amass stuff tacked onto your spells and raging crunch just because of the low creature count if you're interested in a blocker you could include that but probably not going to be reliably attacking this deck what are some sweet interactions to look out for? Uh, Jaya plus Pyrohelix is the best one, I think. When you have Jaya on the battlefield, the passive lets your Pyrohelix do two damage to two different things or three damage to one thing, which is just really strong. Uh, Jaya plus Tybalt is also really good. So the one ones, they're essentially two ones, and then when they die, they're pinging for two damage. So that's another really strong duo wombo combo that you can set up. And then just making sure you pay attention to sequencing your non-creature spells with cards like Burning Prophet and Spellgorger Weird to get your max triggers counters scries whatever it is and then as far as heart fire and amass tokens making sure you don't accidentally grow your amass token bigger before you're planning to heart fire i've caught myself doing that a couple times like oh i'll cast this amass thing and then oh shoot i have a three three amass now i don't really want to sacrifice that to my heart fire i've just been so impressed with amass as a mechanic in the format i agree it feels great it's fun to play with and it also is tough to play with because it makes sequencing stuff tricky and like you want to optimize it i just I, bravo wizards i really like this mechanic yeah i was very skeptical of it Me too. before playing with it and now after playing with it i love it and then just a couple more things about the deck numbers of lands 17 i think is generally where you want to be burning profit helps dictate that you don't flood out so you know you're fine playing 17 could maybe play 16 and as far as sideboarding, sometimes the deck just really struggles against a random 5-4 or 4-5. Like when we had our our streamer showdown, you had cited in the stupid Lazatep behemoth, the 5-4 against me, and you played it. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> that card's really good against my deck. <laughs> and you know, if you can't grow your Spellgorger weirds, 
it's tough sometimes. So maybe bringing in a Casmina's transmutation, you that's a desperation type scenario, but um, or your own four fours, four fives, like your own Cyclops at five mana, or your own you know four five Manticore or whatever. And then just remembering that Teferi's Time Twist and Lazatep removal can do really strong work against removal out of the sideboard uh, if your opponent's a removal heavy deck. Sweet, as always happens every week when we're done recording. I just want to draft. Yeah, I am firing up a stream as soon as I take a shower. I am hyped and ready to go. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap it up. Yep. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Makes me happy every time I listen to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Speaking of streaming, Ben, you can come find us on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you all so much for being such huge supporters of the show by listening, by becoming patrons, by following us on Twitter. It's warm in our heart, and we'll catch you next week. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later. even blue white you know if you've got uh not gideon's reproach what's the name of it gideon's triumph no broken arrow the deal for damage broken divine arrow, arrow. Oh, divine, divine arrow. arrow we got there <laughs> i always wanted to be broken arrow because that card sucks